<laughs> Quiet on the set. You really don't know because you don't know what we're trying to do. You guys don't look at the films. You don't know what happened. You really don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. And you never will. Do, yes. do, do you know, Zach? I, do you I, know? I have no clue. Do, do, I'm, I'm really at a loss. Did, did you feed the hamster this week? <laughs> we didn't pay your energy bill. No energy bill. Should, should we let should we let our audience in on this uh, on this inside joke? The, the there audi- are no secrets here on the We Never Play the Game podcast. The audience is part of our family, Jeffrey. They are totally part of our. So there are no secrets in. here. Let them in. So we've been having some technical issues, which we are working through, and we're going to um, we're going to repost everything at some point in beautiful crystal sound. But but today, just before we started. Um, doing this podcast, Zach had a hard time figuring out why we couldn't hear anything through our headphones. Stop me if I'm wrong. You're correct. And um, everything was plugged in correctly. It there was, was gas in the car, as mom would always ask. But mm-hmm. but but what happened, Zach? You had the I had volume the, down? The volume down on my yeah. iPad. Yes. It plays the music in the open. And this is the head of the technical side <laughs> of the We Never Play the Game podcast. I provide the content. Yes. I provide the meat. You do. And you are, I don't know what you are. You're the plate, the ketchup. I don't, I don't know what you are. And you, uh, you, you, you bring something to the table. You bring great hair. I do have you good have, hair, you have really does, has no value on a podcast. No, no, <laughs> it's a very good point. <laughs> that, that in itself is meat. Um, <laughs> but you, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to bring you along. We're here now. I can hear you. Hopefully... People can hear both of us. That'd be nice. <laughs> no, we're, we're, hey, our our, our uh, engineering budget is zero, and uh, hopefully we'll improve. But uh, we're ready to get after it, man. It's the SEC championship weekend. You will be at the Georgia Dome tomorrow for Alabama, a twenty-four point favorite over Florida. Um, That's are ridiculous. Gonna, are you going to be leading at halftime of this game? I would be lead, leaving at halftime if I didn't have to write a column. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you could write your column already. I probably could, actually, yes. I, I hope it's an entertaining game. I, I, I fear it won't be, although um, in full disclosure, you know, I, you always get that question as a, as a columnist or a sports writer in general, come on, who do you root for? I know you root for someone. And my, my standard answer is I root for me. And they're like, oh, really? No, real seriously. I root for an easy column to write right? and and something that ends quickly or something I could focus, particularly as a column, because it's hard to write a column well, during the game. there's nothing in college football that ends quickly. No, so throw right. that out of the window. Right. And so what becomes a bigger factor is give me something that I could write during the game. Now, if Alabama blows out Florida, which most people, and obviously Las Vegas, think they will— I can write a lot of this column starting at halftime or maybe in the first quarter. <laughs> right. And so in that sense, I would love a blowout, which is not to say I'm pro-Alabama, anti-Florida. I am pro-me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I'm looking for the storyline as well. I'm looking for the uh, best storyline in the SEC besides Alabama, which is what? What is the best storyline in the SEC? It has become a one-team league, which is so shocking to think about considering where the dominance of this league was when LSU was ripping off a championship and Auburn was winning a title and then Manziel and A&M were making things and Arkansas had a run. Uh, Ole Miss was doing something special. You had Tennessee uh, and Georgia were always in the mix of things. And now it's just an uh, it's just an average league. You have the SEC East representation in Florida, uh, six and two in the conference, eight and three overall. But they can't score. Their defense is great. 
you know, they come in have uh, getting blown out by Florida State. So what is the storyline besides Alabama? Well, first of all, I think it'd be hysterical if Florida wanted a blow away. Right. And, and, and suddenly the college football playoff committee is sitting there saying, okay, we have to put Alabama <laughs> yeah. in, don't we? We can't put Florida in. We can't put three Big Ten we teams in. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, so, no, you hit on the storyline. The storyline is this, this was for the better part of a decade, at least, the most dominant football conference in the country. Things tend to be cyclical in, in sports in general, but I don't think anybody foresaw basically everybody outside of Tuscaloosa descending in the SEC like they have. And that's that's what's happened, Zach. I mean, if you look at the college football rankings today or the AP rankings, you have Alabama sitting on the top of the world, a huge gap between first and second. And then the next SEC team isn't until you get down to 12, 13, 14, um, or 13, 14, whatever it is, you know, whichever ones you look at, 14, 15, actually, um, down to Auburn and Florida. So um, I think what's happened is I think, number one, the rest of the country has, has gotten better a lot. Um, the re- other conferences, certainly the Big Ten, has hired some great coaches, two of whom have come over from the SEC, Urban Meyer from Florida and James Franklin from Vanderbilt. Um, I think recruiting has evened out a lot. I think a lot of those kids who grew up in the warm south in California uh, or Texas who never before wanted to go to a cold climate, I think they're willing to go now. And then I think the other part of it is honestly is, is SEC programs have made some bad or questionable decisions in terms of uh, in terms of coaching hires. Um, I think we can look more recent, most recently at LSU. They just hired Ed Orgeron. If you are sitting there right now, Zach, and you are the athletic director of any of, let's say, the top 20 or 25 football programs in the country, and you were making out a list of your dream candidates for that job, how many coaches would you have to write down before you get to Ed Orgeron? A few, without question, yeah. which makes the, I think, the imminent signing of, of Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator to LSU uh, much more intriguing because if Mr. Ed gets oh. on the hot seat, yeah. Lane slides right in, and there you have that sexy name, uh, the style, the swagger, and then LSU is on that map yet again. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a, a mind-boggling situation, as you mentioned. You know, They are an elite program. They have the loyalty of the fan base. They have uh, one of the most iconic places to play in the country. They have a recruiting area that has uh, talent and depth. But, it, 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 I mean, every, for by all accounts, I don't know the program all that well, but, you know, everybody associated with LSU, they like Orgeron He's a, a great guy. Yeah. Everybody would tell you he's a great guy. But I And, look, I'm not saying – I'm not going to, you know, use one job against him because if we did that, Bill Belichick never gets another job after Cleveland and he turns out to be, you know, arguably the greatest of all time. Yeah, exactly. I don't, but I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that Orgeron is not going to pull a Bill Belichick. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, I think some guys, and unfortunately you don't know this until they go from a coordinator slash assistant position to the head coach. And certainly George is trying to figure that out right now with Kirby smart. Um, in terms of whether they are fit to be a head coach or not. I think Ed Orgeron is a, is a terrific recruiter, and I think he's a terrific assistant defensive coach. I don't know that he's a great head coach. And again, this gets back to if you are LSU and you are one of the premier college football programs in the country, and it wasn't that long ago where you won a couple of national championships, you should be drawing the cream of the crop to that, to that position and not somebody who's a question like Ed Orgeron. 
if you look at the top four, where we stand right now, if the college football playoff were to start today, yeah. obviously you have Alabama as the one seed, Ohio State two, Clemson three, and Washington four. Washington's playing for a, uh, a championship in their conference this weekend, as is Clemson, as is Alabama. The only one of the four, Ohio State, their season is over. They are 11-1. and one. We have a fascinating situation on our hand, Jeffrey. If Wisconsin and Penn State, if that game comes down to the Nittany Lions winning the Big Ten championship, do then they move over Ohio State, Clemson, and Washington into the Final Four? Well, obviously I'm not on the committee, but if I'm making a choice, absolutely the answer is yes. And who they are taking out? Well, I think who they take out sort of depends on what happens in the Washington game. We're assuming Clemson wins and we're assuming Alabama wins, so obviously those two are in. Um, probably in that order. Um, Alabama one, Clemson two. Uh, if Washington wins convincingly in, in, in its final game. Against Colorado. Against Colorado. They will have beaten two ranked teams in the last two games, um, Colorado and Washington State. Um, they will have had uh, a really impressive win earlier in the year against Stanford, who they just completely mauled. And their only loss was late in the year against USC, um, which turned it's turned out to be a very good team. They're one of the best teams in the country down the stretch. So Washington's resume is really good. If it's up to me, I'm putting Penn State in, and I'm taking Ohio State out. And I realize that is going to throw shockwaves in mm-hmm. Columbus. But think about it, Zach. You know, obviously there's no perfect answer here, and you can only put four teams in. So – the factors, if I'm going by what the college football rankings people said when they first put this all together, what what are they going to consider? Do you have to win a camp conference championship? No. And I agree with that. You shouldn't have to win a conference championship to get in. However, they did say the top factors are going to be number one, whether you won a conference championship. Okay. Not a mandate, but it is a factor and maybe the biggest factor. Number two, head-to-head, whether you played, and we're just banking on one team or the other here. Um and, and number three, strength of schedule. In that order. I believe they put it in that order. Conference Con- championship, head-to-head, head, strength of schedule. Correct. So I don't know how you would put, if you only put one Big Ten team in, I don't know how you could justify putting Ohio State in over Penn State. You can't, in my view. Going by your list, the only thing they would have over Penn State would be strength of schedule or over Washington should Washington win. Obviously, they didn't play head-to-head, but Ohio State's strength of schedule is one. They would have not won the Big Ten championship game. They would have not been a conference champion because of that. And they lost head-to-head to to the Nittany Lions. Right. To me, if you were going to sit there and say, as a playoff committee, if it comes down to, let's say, we're putting Penn State in, and now it's whether you put Ohio State in or Washington in, if you are going to say we are going to put Ohio State in over Washington, you better have a damn compelling argument because, number one, the Pac-12 is a, is a really good conference right now. They're, they're probably they're right behind the Big Ten in terms of ascending right now. They're good now, and they're going to get even better. And it was a very strong conference this year. You, to put Ohio State in, a non-conference champion who didn't even make it to the conference championship, in over Washington— which was very strong this year and won a conference championship. And their strength of schedule is 17th in the country, yeah, so it wasn't like it was 117. No, exactly. It's not like they played a bunch of Sun Belt or FCS schools as their, as their non-conference uh, opponents. I just don't see how you do it. And again, I know people are going to look right now and say, well, how could you do that? Ohio State 
right now is ranked, you know, what, second in yep. the playoff committee? Um, they barely beat Michigan State by one. Uh, they had a big win over Nebraska, in which they won by 59 points. They barely are, uh, beat Northwestern. They did lose to Penn State. Um, and, they, you know, in the Michigan game, they, they did what they, they won at home over Michigan, yeah. who is obviously not in the equation because you can't go in not winning their championship and losing two of your last three. They lost to Penn State. Bottom line. So how do you – head-to-head is number and two it, here. It's with the committee, it's the, it's, it's the biggest uh, gray area. It's their ultimate get-out-of-jail-free uh, card, Jeff, the body of work. Yeah. You know, they can use that whatever way they want to yes. argue. When yes. you look at the body of work, yeah. that gives you this. Uh, so I, I think it would be fascinating if Washington holds serve, if Clemson holds serve, and obviously Penn State wins. Uh, Urban Meyer, man, you know, I covered him when I was in Orlando. Um, there's just something that rubs me the wrong way about him. <laughs> I, think, just, I think it's safe to say outside of Columbus and maybe outside of Gainesville, except for those who are still upset that he left, I think the rest of the country would crack up at his reaction if Ohio State oh, does not man, make this. Met, that'd be outstanding. <laughs> It'd be so good. So we got the SEC championship game Saturday at the George Dome. Again, Alabama, a 24-point favorite over Florida. Sunday at the Dome, Jeff. It will most definitely be the most compelling and competitive game of the weekend at the Dome. The Falcons taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think we'll learn a lot about both of these teams. Both teams uh, fighting for playoff position, seeding in the playoffs. The Falcons are at home. And it's strength versus strength. One of the best offenses in the league against a defense and a front seven. And then you throw Eric Berry in at the safety position that has all pros all over the field. When you look into your crystal ball, what do you think is, is the difference? And how do you see this thing playing out? I think it's going to be a really tough game. Um, I think the thing about the Kansas City defense is I don't know that they're overwhelming, but they're very opportunistic. They they lead the NFL in, in takeaways uh, with 24. They lead it in plus-minus differential with, with plus 14. Um, I think you can move the ball on them. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be able to shut down the Falcons' offense altogether, and I don't think the KC offense – is good enough to no, score a lot like of Jeremy points. Jeremy Macklin hasn't been playing. Right. Um, you know, he's got that groin right. injury. That's a weapon that they could use. That he's not most likely will not be available this weekend. And where their points going to come from? Yeah, if if the defense can force short fields right. uh, and have it at the twenty yard line, and you only have to go twenty yards for a score, that, that's how I, I think they're in it. Yeah, I think the Fal- I think the Falcons basically, if they don't screw up, they win. And by screw up, I mean like a special teams blunder that's going to give Kansas City a short field pick six, a, a pick six, a, any kind of turnover that basically gives the other team an extra possession and takes away one of yours. I think that's how the Falcons lose this game. Um, I think they win, but I think it's going to be a close game. I could see I could see it being one of those rare, low-scoring Falcon games. Really? Uh, uh, I don't think and they score. What does that mean, 14, 17 points? Yeah, I think 20 or 2017 or, mm-hmm. you know, 23, 16 or something like that. I just don't know where the offense is going to come from Kansas City. I mean, you look at Matt yeah. Ryan, Jeff. He has more passing touchdowns than the Chiefs do total touchdowns yeah and it's not even close he has 26 tv passes the chiefs have 20 offensive scores so then you add in a tevin coleman you add in a Devonte freeman and i think when you have justin houston who's you know he's just a beast i mean he yeah. is the uh, another khalil mack who just can cause havoc but we saw what the falcons did in oakland that you were at that game yes they had success in uh, you know kind of containing him and i think with coleman back healthy you can steer your offense away so if houston lines up on the left side you can do some swing passes to the opposite side of the field to kind of move your offense away uh, from his skills. Um, And then, you know, what I like about Kansas City is, you know, their swagger defensively. They're a man-to-man defense. So you know Julio's going to get ISO coverage, right? So 
what has he done this year when he's had one-on-one? He's lit up everybody. So right. if they do decide to send Eric Berry or give him some help, that opens things up for Sanu. It opens up for Taylor Gabriel yeah. had a breakout game. So I just don't know how over the course of four quarters the Falcons offense shuts down. Now, we've seen throughout the year, you know, Mac could have a brain cramp here or there, but the interception, you know, the last couple of games we've seen Julio drop some key yes. uh, passes that either could have been uh, a first down or uh, an interception the other way. Um, so I think you're right. I think the only way the Falcons lose this game is if they beat themselves. Yeah, and and I think it's I think it's a really good game for the Falcons defensively this week because while while Kansas City's not a great offensive team, they don't I don't know if they self destruct a lot. And and Alex Smith is not a great quarterback, but he's he's is consistent. He's consistent and accurate. Yeah, and and the Falcons have some defensive issues, and that's really my biggest concern about them moving forward. Not that they have given up a ton of yards or a ton of points, because I do think in many ways they are getting better. Uh, I think a lot of those young guys who are running fast and 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 were big and tough and whatever, but were running in the wrong direction, I, I think they're more around the ball a lot more. I think you're seeing a lot more rallying to the ball. Um, but I'm sorry. Losing your best player on that side of the ball, Desmond Trufant, is a huge, huge injury. And losing Adrian Claiborne um, for we don't know how long, but at least three or four weeks probably, is a huge, huge injury because it really cuts into the depth um, of that defensive front. And they've already lost a couple of their players, and, and they weren't that great to begin with. So um, I think this is a good test for them because it's not an overpowering offense they're playing. But it's a, it's a decent, solid, consistent offense, and they could kind of figure out, okay, what's going to work here and what isn't. You mentioned the loss of Trufant, arguably the best player. We touched on this on a previous podcast right. about the opportunity for Jalen Collins, yes, the former second-round pick out of LSU, who hasn't seen the field la- uh, much at all, did play last week and looked you know, solid. He looked you know, uh, that he, he wasn't lost. He made a few key plays, uh, breaking up passes. So I think the more he gets on the field, the more opportunities he has, the more confidence he has in his abilities. Because he just, you know, when you, that doubt creeps in. I mean, you're there for a reason. You need to have that confidence where you can go man-on-man, you can go ISO one-on-one and shut down their guys. And he just needs to be there. So, I'm, again, another opportunity going against a team that's not Drew Brees uh, or, you know, a car out in Oakland. Who, who You know, Collins wasn't in that game. So I don't think he's going to get torched is my, is, my, is my point because that's just not the offense Kansas City has. No, I, I I agree. I think, and I think the one advantage Jaden Collins has is he's not beat up yeah. because he was suspended earlier this year, and then he it was taken a time it was taken some time before he was working his way into the lineup. That actually can work to his advantage, but you know, again, he has to be in the right spot, um, and and he can't overplay things, and uh, he can't bite on fakes. Um, he's got a lot. Of, he's he's got some physical tools. He's a big kid. Um, and uh, like I said, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, but I think because Casey is not an explosive offense, uh, this is a good week for the Falcons. And it's an important week. Uh, this is an opportunity. You're only up one game in the division with five to go. This is the only team of the remaining five, yes. Jeff, that currently have a winning record. You're going to L.A. next week, and you come back for a game against San Francisco. Those should be two wins. And you have the the, the Buccaneers that are at your heels in the division. You know, they got some tough games ahead, uh, starting with the Saints, um, uh, Chargers, rather, then the Saints and the Cowboys, and they have the Saints again. So this is an opportunity, again, to give you a little breathing room. Right. Then you would only have four games left in, 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 in the regular season. And you should win this. You know, you're playing at home. You have the offense, uh, the advantage on offense. And, and if you want to be considered a threat 
come the, the second season, these are the opportunities you have to take. I mean, if, if factor fluke, right? I mean, what, what, show me what you got. This is an opportunity to show uh, the rest of the league that they are for real going against a team that's fighting for one of the top seeds in the AFC. I think there was a lot of uneasiness during the bye week. I mean, I'm not saying within the Falcons. Oh, Babino said room. it right after the game. He yeah. said we wanted, we didn't want the bye week. Our bodies wanted it, but mentally yeah. we didn't want it at all. Right? He said we need it. There was a horrible taste that Eagle game left in their mouths. Yeah, and it's not like that's a bad team they played, and certainly it, it's a, it's not an easy place to play up in Philadelphia. But that's a team and a game the Falcons should win. And you know they played poorly in all three areas. We've talked about it before, and still, really, they had a chance to win the game. But during that bye week, I think there was a lot of. I mean, certainly around Atlanta, and you know, there's all this emotional scar tissue anytime you sure. there's any kind of doubt. It's like, oh, geez, where, where are they going to go from here? You come out of the bye week and you play Arizona, which the record is not great, but that's a really, really good and talented team and a really good, talented quarterback, Carson Palmer, who could torch you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and they were desperate. I mean, they had to, it was a big game for the Falcons. It was a really big game for Arizona because they needed to win that game to try to get back in the playoff picture. And and I love what I saw. Six points and over 100 yards allowed in that second half. Yeah, yeah. 38-19, they just smoked them. And they put their foot on the gas, which they hadn't really done a lot Never. this year. Yep. Um, and and like you just said, it was the six points in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge game for the defense. And so I think that there was a – certainly around town, I sent sort of a huge sigh of relief after that game. I don't think they're going to let up now. I'm not saying they're going to win out or anything. I'm not making any predictions for the playoffs right now. But I don't think they're going to let up. I think that game really sh- that game showed me a lot in terms of where this team is at right now, not just in terms of fi- not so much physical tools, but just in terms of mindset. Um, I had a really good talk with Dan Quinn a couple weeks ago about this. You know, he he talked about well, I said, well, what makes the difference this time of year? You've been in this league for a while. You were in Seattle, and he was basically embraced the moment. I said, well, come on. I mean, this is just all cliche. He goes, no, think about it. He goes, he goes, what is it down the stretch that really changes that some teams just take off and some teams fall off? He goes, it's not like schedules change that much. It's not like the talent changes at all. Something causes those teams to all of a sudden go from you know a 500 or barely 500 team uh, to to winning four of their last five games or five of their last six while the other teams are doing the opposite. What is it? And I said, I don't know. What is it? And he goes, he goes, embracing that moment, being confident in that moment. So they've, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. They're crossing those boxes off their list, being confident in the moment. That is his message. And also key to teams making strong runs down the last month of the season, the last quarter of the season, Jeff, is the health of your squad. Yes. And we look at, we know the New England Patriots are full of confidence. They just lost arguably the greatest tight end currently playing in the NFL. They, they lost probably their second best, most important player outside of the quarterback. Right. So yeah. they know they're seeking the moment. We'll see how they react. The Falcons, they're seeking the moment. They're in it right now. They could taste it. But as you mentioned, they have now lost two key defenders. And we will see how they perform without those two studs on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, have fun at the Georgia Dome. Thank you. Hopefully uh, it's... 65 nothing at the half and you can write your column. I'm good. It's all good. I'll leave a couple spaces it's all for about some quotes. Me. I'm sure people in Tuscaloosa would be very happy with that. <laughs> Have a great weekend, Schultze. And uh, technicalities aside, we hope to bring you crystal clear audio <laughs> from here on out. For Jeff, I'm Zach. Thanks for listening to the We Never Play the Game podcast. <laughs>